This is Difference Makers. Welcome. My name is Mike Lee, Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, 93.9 KPDQ, AM 860, The Answer, KPAM, La Patrona 1640, 93.1 El Rey, and 104.1 The Fish. And I'd love to talk to you about getting more people back to your church, sharing about your ministry through our free online church directory and church service live stream directory. Expanding your ministry or business beyond your walls, establishing yourself as an authority in your field, and becoming more known through radio. Building awareness of your company or outreach by hosting our events at your location at no risk to you. Marketing your message or brand directly to your target audience through the latest and most powerful online tools of Salem Surround. And most importantly, if your ministry leader or pastor could use a phone call, a word of encouragement, a cup of coffee, or a connection to others, please email me at mikelee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at kpdq.com. Our very special guest today is no stranger to KPDQ. His name is Greg Moon. You may remember him from Western Seminary, working with Warner Pacific University, the YMCA, the Salvation Army, and he's also the owner of the Lazy Moon Lodge. Congratulations, Greg Moon, as you're just about to retire while you continue consulting from your home. How are you today, Greg? I'm well today. Thanks, Mike. I'm so glad to hear that. Do you have any exciting aspirations now that God's led you to this exciting new chapter of your life after going great guns for all these decades, working to help so many different ministries along? Well, I'm actually looking forward to to retiring from a career of 30 plus years um, in fundraising mostly um, and wanting to use some of the experience uh, from those um, 30 plus years to help uh, small to mid-sized church and uh, Christian nonprofits um, if they need strategic planning help or fundraising help or leadership development help. I've got the the expertise and the experience to to help and I want to focus on the mid-sized to, to small churches and nonprofits, uh, just because in many cases they can't afford a consulting, big consulting firm to come in. And, um, I actually enjoy working with the smaller organizations myself. So that's kind of where I'm headed in the next little bit or chapter of my life. Well, congratulations, Greg. I'm so happy for you. And with more than three decades worth of fundraising experience, do you have any success stories stand out in your mind? Well, there's been so many, Mike. Um, I, I, I think for me, I, I look at fundraising from a little bit different perspective than some. Uh, t- t- to me, it, it's it's less about the gift itself and really more about being biblically generous as we're taught to be. And so the, the, the success stories are watching folks that, you know, may not be the, the, the big philanthropists that have the the capability of giving larger gifts, but, uh, you know, sitting in the front room of a husband and wife uh, who want to help um, believe in whatever the organization, in many cases for me, it was higher education, uh, but just the, the joy that they, they get from being generous and feeling good about being biblically generous. So, like I said, it's, it's less about the gift and more about being uh, generous as we're taught to be. It's kind of like the laws of gravity. 
we do indeed reap what we sow, and a lot of what we might hear in the secular world doesn't exactly line up biblically. And although it doesn't maybe make as much sense on paper, if we're following the statutes and the best ways and practices and means that we see in the Bible, God does indeed reward us. And I think about how successful you've been, Greg Moon, over the years. And as you're getting ready to retire, your heart is specifically for these small to mid-sized churches and the Christian nonprofit groups. So why do you think God's called your heart toward them in particular? Well, <laughs> I think, Mike, that as I said a little bit earlier, the the smaller to mid-sized don't necessarily have, in many cases, the resources within the organization to get the fundraising help or the strategic planning help. Um, they often don't think that they can afford it. Um, and, and in many cases, that's that's true. A lot of the, the uh, consulting firms locally are great and they do wonderful work, but they're expensive. And, um, you know, my, my style or, or my way of earning some money through consulting is uh, also a little bit different than, than most. Um, I'm retiring. Uh, I'm not doing the consulting to make a living. Um, I'm doing it because I want to help. So the, the, the way my fee structure is, is set up is, you know, uh, I'll find a nonprofit or a church that need my help and I can help them and we figure out what kind of work we can do together. And then once it's done and we've completed what we've done or agreed to do, then I'll leave it in their hands to, to pay me what they think the, the time was worth or what they can afford. And so it becomes less about billable hours and more about enhancing the kingdom through these organizations. That's wonderful of you to share your gift, Greg, after all of these 17 plus years in higher education. So are there certain people over the years that have really helped hone and refine how you consult fundraising, whether it's from working with Western Seminary or Warner Pacific University or other institutions in academia? Yeah, there's a few people in in, in my past when I was uh, much younger, um, in my um, late 20s, early 30s. There was a gentleman that I worked with the YMC up in the Everett area who his entire work was capital campaigns, and he would bounce around the country from city to city and spend six months to a year in a particular city raising money for a theater or ice rink or you know, gymnasium, um, and he was he was really, really smart in how he put it together. And so I learned a great deal uh, from him. And then there was another gentleman um, who also was the, with the YMCA up in the Everett area that really became a mentor of mine. He he believed deeply in the work that that the Y was doing. Uh, be, believed deeply in in getting scholarship dollars raised so that uh, kids and families could enjoy swimming lessons or summer camp. And he just had a way about him that um, was also less about the gift and more about the, the generosity and what the gift meant for the families. So over the course of my life, those two folks um, have had a, a great deal uh, of uh influence on me. And, and, and this may seem a little cliche, but also my dad. Uh, I was fortunate to have a, 
a father who was a pastor, a father who deeply believed in helping those that may be less fortunate than, than others. And I just learned um, and grew to appreciate dad's um, care for those that um, were less fortunate than others. So I, I would say those are three people. I mean, like I say, over the 30 plus years, um, there's been a lot of people who have spoken into my life, but, but those three come to mind. It's interesting how you remind us that you were a PK, you were a pastor's kid growing up, Greg. So would you like to share your experience? When did you come to know the Lord and own that faith for yourself as opposed to simply being the pastor's son? Yeah, that's a good question, Mike. I've I've wrestled with that uh, over my adult life. Um, I really think there were a couple of instances in my early 20s um, when I was working for uh, a Christian camp. Um, in, in British Columbia. Um, and really that summer, I spent a lot of time out in, you know, campouts and in the woods. And those are the times that I think I really came um, the closest to Jesus in the sense of the quiet of the, the outdoors. But growing up as a preacher's kid, I've wrestled with the fact that um, I've never been in a household growing up that didn't have Christ at the center. And having that one defining moment, um, I, I can look to a few moments that have reinforced or affirmed my faith, but I've always had that front and center with, with my, my, my parents. And so their example, um, I think, helped me. But like I say, I, I've wrestled with listening to folks who you know, I, I found Jesus when I was 29. I was at, you know, my desperate's end. You know, I, I don't have that kind of a testimony. Um, but I, I guess my testimony, I was fortunate and blessed to have parents who were strong believers and a father that was a pastor. So I guess that's the, the, the best way I can answer that question. And I think it's a good way, Greg, because it's honest. It's transparent. And like you, at times, I've actually had a bit of testimony envy. I think of the people who are in the deepest, darkest dregs of society, and, and God saved them. I think about the rocker Brian Head Welch from the band Corn. His baby mommy had died from an overdose, and he was at his wit's end, and then he found Jesus. So here's this long-haired, tatted rocker who is sold out for the Lord. And I think, wow, what a cool testimony. And at the same time, he gave each and every one of us a different story on purpose so that somehow we could share that and relate it with someone else. So we don't need to rank our testimonies. Each one caused the angels to dance for joy up in heaven when we gave our hearts to Jesus. So I'm glad that you were able to have that experience as a pastor's kid. Yeah, and and I think like you said that that the rocker that's tatted up, you know, their testimony or their ability to reach into the life of someone who's going through what they went through, they're likely the only ones that that can reach that person. So God uses them to reach that. You know, I I can't tell those stories. I can't be um, relate to someone who's been homeless or someone who's been abused at home, but God uses those that, that can. So He's going to use anything. 
So yeah, there's enough. no testimony that's any better or any worse out there. So we may as well just enjoy and appreciate what God has given us. So I'm happy for you, Greg. Thanks, Mike. So can you tell us where you met your wife? I met my wife at a wedding, believe it or not. Um, I was invited by the bride and she was invited by the groom. And we met at the reception. And um, people people kind of say, yeah, there's no such thing as love at first sight. Well, it may not have been first sight, but it was in within the first 10 days to two weeks, we both knew. <laughs> so Good for you. That's, that's wild. Well, it's been 39 years. It'll be 40 next year we've been married. So, Greg, you meet this young woman at a wedding reception. What was your first interaction? Um, well, we, we met at the reception, and then there was a an after party that a number of us attended, and that's kind of when we started talking. And um, I, I was and still am Canadian, and so at the end of the semester, it was in December, I had to go home. And she grew up in the Kirkland, Seattle area, so we found a way to get together between Christmas and New Year's. And um, it's been, um, well, 42 years, I guess, in total, 40, almost 40 married. So, Well, congratulations, Greg. So does growing up in Canada give you any unique or different perspectives, or was it so long ago that you're fairly Americanized? Well, I still have family in Canada, um, and there is a difference. Um, You know, the, the... the Canadian, um, it, I, I've been accused, I guess, in a good way. They say that Canadians are really polite and nice. And that's not to say that Americans aren't polite and nice. But it's, it, it is a different feel. Canada is, isn't the size of country. Um, but there are so many things that are similar. Our, our, you know, English is the prominent language if you're not from Quebec in Canada. But um, not, I mean, there's some differences, but, um, we found, um, a, li- a little bit between the two of us, my wife's an American and I'm a, a Canadian that we both lived in both countries and there's people's opinions of Canadians and there's people's opinions of Americans that aren't always necessarily on point, but there's not a whole lot of difference. We have colored money. Great insights from Greg Moon, who we are going to congratulate as he is entering retirement. However, he will continue consulting small to mid-sized churches and Christian nonprofits. And the best way to find out more and get in touch with Greg would be through his website, thunderbirdconsulting.org. That's thunderbirdconsulting.org. More with Greg Moon next on Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here with the retiring Greg Moon, who will continue consulting from home. His website is thunderbirdconsulting.org. That's thunderbirdconsulting.org. And he specializes in using his decades of experience to help small to mid-sized churches and Christian nonprofits build. And 
Greg, I guess I'll start with this. What exactly is a small to mid-sized church? That's a good question. Um, I, I think it's a little bit hard to determine an exact number or budget size. It really depends, I think, on what the organization is wanting to do. But I would say a church of, of you know, 600 or under would probably be small to mid-sized. Um, a nonprofit that is just starting out uh, and needs some strategic planning help obviously will be small. Um, they may be building the board for the first time. Um, which I can help with. Um, so a, a, an organization that, that might be, you know, I don't know, 250000 in, in budget size and lower. And again, I think a lot depends on, on what they're envisioning their mission to be, and, and you can determine that. Um, but I think that's kind of my best. Um, certainly if an organization that was bigger and thought I could be helpful, I'm not going to say no. Um, but I think the target for the smaller um, organizations that may be having trouble finding board members or finding folks to to help with fundraising because they just can't afford full-time staff for that. So th- that's, I think, kind of the, the best way I can answer that question, Mike. So generally, 600 members or less would define a small to mid-sized church, and you help out Christian nonprofits of all sizes, but it really seems to me that your heart is for the underdog, for the smaller organization, because not everybody has such a big-sized megachurch that they have a built-in full-time graphic designer, for instance. And working as the director of local ministries for Salem Media Group Portland, I have encountered so many good churches that have a well-meaning participant friend or member say, I want to volunteer to donate our website to you. And objectively, the game changes so quickly that what would have been a state-of-the-art website even 5 or 25 years ago is noticeably lackluster today. And sometimes it's more than just speed or graphics or content. But if we want to put our best foot forward as churches, if 90% of the people are proven to look at our website who will never visit our church. That's the only shot we have in making an impression on them. And is that impression going to be a positive experience or is it going to look like people cut corners or people aren't gifted? So that to me reminds me of what you, Greg Moon, are doing with Thunderbird Consulting. You're helping the little guy get to an even playing field because there's always competition when it comes to fundraising, isn't there? Always. And, you know, many organizations, a lot of organizations are great ones to, to give to. But, yeah, and every year there's more. <laughs> so, Greg, if a medium or small size church came up to you and say, we're already doing A, B, and C, how do you help guide them to decide what they need or what they should perhaps delegate to an outside organization? Yeah, a couple of questions that I ask very early on. Um, whether it's a church or a, a nonprofit, the question is, where do you want to be five years from now? And seven and a half to eight times out of 10, I get dead silence. They don't know. And it, it's not because they're, they're doing bad things. They just don't know. They know what they want to do. They know that, that um, there's this particular group they want to help or this particular part of the community they, they want to reach, but they just can't paint that picture. 
And it, it's, in my experience, very difficult to grow or move forward um, if you don't have a good, solid plan in place. And, um, you know, kind of along with that, Mike, you know, in, in again, in my experience in, in churches that, that don't have huge numbers attending, they don't have the resources and the giftings of folks who are a part of the community of that particular church or even that nonprofit that they could go to and say, hey, we need some help with our website because we don't know what we're doing, but that's what you do for a living. You know, and fundraising is also, you know, looking for talents and giftings in folks. And then the, the other piece that, that I, in my experience, tend to find in, in the smaller, not all of them, but some, that, you know, when you're trying to build a leadership team, especially a volunteer leadership team like a board or um, elders or deacons, whatever your church um, is set or however the church is set up, is they're just looking for someone that's a warm body that says, yes, I'll come to Tuesday night meetings once a month. And, you know, that's that's great if you want to build a, a group of guys or gals together, but you're, you're, you're just getting warm bodies and that not necessarily take you into the place you want to be. So, Greg, what mistakes do we make when we just put people on boards or perhaps worse into church leadership? Because maybe we like them or they're available. Are there certain things that you and Thunderbird Consulting can help us use as filters or prerequisites to get the right people, not just anybody? Well, it, it, it starts with the, the strategic plan, Mike. And so you sit down, we go through the strategic plan process, and, and you may put a, you know, a three-year plan together um, or you know, depending on the, the church, but if you put a three to five year plan together, I mean, it's something that you review annually because things change. But once you have that plan in place, then you can say, okay, what are the giftings or what are the things that we need people to have as a part of our leadership team to to get to successful um, plan or to get to a successful strategic um, plan. So, you know, if you're looking at, I'm trying to think of an example, if, if you're looking at a, a nonprofit, um, all nonprofits will need some sort of legal help along the way. All nonprofits will need some finances or accounting help. All nonprofits will need someone who is willing to maybe help with fundraising. So what you do is, I, I, what I help them with is creating a matrix so you look at all the things that you need to do to be successful, and then you go back and say, who are the people that we know that have the giftings in those areas to make us successful? Does that make sense? Greg, that makes all the sense in the world. So what if you have no one, no candidate that fully fits your prerequisites? Do you try to improvise, maybe split those duties? Do you look and do you wait for that person to come in or what? Well, Waiting is also is is can be painful, but it could also be the best thing to do. Um, like again, just getting a warm body to sit in the the treasurer's spot on the board who has no finance or accounting background that could be disastrous. <laughs> um, 
especially if you're a, a qualified, you know, 501c3 where there's reporting requirements by the IRS each each year. So in in many cases, that's a difficult one to say. And in, in, if you're looking for board members to be a part of a, a, a group that helps make decisions on on issues within the church, you know, that's, you know, you, you can recruit those a little bit easier than specific skills. And you'll want to have those kinds of, of folks on your board. But I, I'd be very careful um, on both sides, churches or nonprofits, of adding someone just to have someone. Um, because you either end up with an empty chair at each of the meetings or you end up with someone that, that just can't help you in the area that you need help. Um, and there's so many different ways to go at that to say, here's the silver bullet. There really isn't one. It, it really is, you know, a, a matter of conversation and um, really looking at where you are as an organization and where you want to go. We're speaking with Greg Moon of Thunderbird Consulting, and as Greg heads into retirement, he's actually doing this to use his wealth of experience to help out small to mid-sized churches and to assist Christian nonprofits at rates that are commensurate to your own budget. So please contact Thunderbird Consulting by checking out the website, thunderbirdconsulting.org. That's thunderbirdconsulting.org. Greg, do you ever help begin a nonprofit or are all of your clientele already established? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. In fact, this last year, I've, I've helped two brand new uh, nonprofits get their, their nonprofit status from the federal government. The process for them that I've just kind of talked about is, is very similar. And in many cases, you're starting brand new. So you're, you're not um, having to say, well, you know, Sally Smith hasn't been to six meetings. We, what are we going to do? Um, so you're kind of starting with a clean canvas. But yes, I've, I've worked with um, a number just in the last year, um, uh, years ago when I was a part of the Christian Chamber of Commerce here in the local area. Um, there was a, a young attorney um, that his firm does help um, with, with help with all the, the different legal pieces that you need to do uh, to get your 501c3. Um, so, yeah, that to answer you, that's a long-winded answer. Yes, I have. And I, I find that enjoyable just because you're working from a clean slate. So if your church ministry or outreach is in its planning stages, I would strongly suggest contacting Greg Moon so that you get started off on the right foot because nothing is more frustrating to me at times than working with people who are playing out of their natural strength, people who are at a position, because if they've got good hearts, you don't want to hurt feelings and you don't want to shift, juggle, or let go of people that you like. But if they were a bad hire in the first place, then you've not set up a good foundation for your church or nonprofit to build upon, right? Yeah. Um, and that, I'm sure most of us at some point in our life have seen that wrong hire almost implode a church or an organization. Yep, absolutely. So Greg, more than just being a business consultant, you're a man of God. So when you encounter the bad fit, how do you deal with that most effectively in a way that honors the Lord? I think there's a, a number of different ways that you can, you can deal with it. I, th I think the hardest part is, um, 
you've got to be honest with yourself as an organization and you've got to be honest with the person um, and not well unless it's a a personality thing that is is uh, eroding the leadership Um, you've got to be honest with the person to say you know we need to find someone that's got different giftings and skills and and we're finding I mean there's so many different you know not showing up to meetings uh, being decisive in 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 negative ways at meetings talking behind people's backs. I mean, there's so many different things, but I, I think you've got, you've got to address it. You've got to address it head on, never easy. But once, once you get past it, um, then, then you can, um, you can get past it and grow and grow in ways that, that um, I know over my career, I've had to, as a, a supervisor and a leader, I've had to, to terminate some employees along the way not that many but um difficult to do um a little bit harder sometimes to do with volunteers too because they're volunteering their time but the sooner you do it the better off you'll be especially now greg moon what would you suggest would be the best ways to communicate there's a book called the peacemaker by author ken sandy and among other things it is suggested that in the majority of cases, we ought to meet face-to-face when having a serious conversation, at the very least video, if need be by telephone, but that often text is the worst form of communication on a more serious matter because we read into things. We hear people's voices in our heads with inflections and intentions that aren't necessarily there. So in your experience, what's the best way to meet with people? And in a pandemic era – if it's not possible to meet in person, what suggestions do you have for us? Well, I mean, it, I think you've got to go through a, a process um, that doesn't come as a surprise. So if, if you're dealing with an employer or a volunteer that is just not one that's being helpful to the organization, I think you've got to have a conversation with that person and say, here's where... We may be seeing things differently. Here's where you're not living up to what we've agreed to. Um, and I think you've got to have a conversation like that and then set a timeline. You know, if I'm not seeing um, something different by such and such a date, then this is what's going to happen. And if you're able to do it in a way where it's not just you sitting in the room or sitting on a Zoom call so that it's not a, um, you don't get into a he said, she said. Now, your first conversation, just saying, here's where we're concerned. Here's where you, you, you may be not doing what we asked. That could be a simple conversation with the, just the two of you. But if you get to a point where, you know, something uh, is going to happen in terms of um, termination, in terms of asking that volunteer to step down. I would never recommend doing that alone um, because it's a he said, she said um, conversation, and those can get nasty in a hurry. <laughs> so if a splitting or a termination needs to happen, it's best not to be one-on-one, but 
have more than one person along with you. And I've heard rumors over the years that some people prefer that on a Monday. Other people prefer that on a Friday. Uh, What is your preference with your experience, Greg Moon? I don't know, to be honest, Mike, if I have a preference. Um, I I know if if it's done on a Monday, you've got a week of uh, time to to do whatever. If it's done on a Friday, it may simmer over a weekend. just really depends, again, on the situation. And I I might go back to that never do um, something um, definite like a termination or, you know, a resignation. in, in a situation where, you know, and I said, don't do it alone. Um, just be careful about the gender mix in the room. Um, you, you would never want to be a supervisor in that kind of a situation alone in a room uh, with, especially as a guy, with a, a, a woman being the one that you're, you're terminating or asking to resign. Um, so those are just, you know, always it almost seems logical or almost seems that well that goes without saying but but it doesn't just ask the courts how many times they see something like this in court well that's for sure congratulations to greg moon on your retirement and thank you for continuing to consult small to mid-sized churches and christian nonprofit groups at prices that they can afford case by case person by person because that's your heart to share your experience when we return, more with Greg Moon from Thunderbird Consulting on Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers. I'm Mike Lee, and Greg Moon of ThunderbirdConsulting.org is retiring from full-time active duties, but he will continue as a consultant, especially to Christian nonprofits and small to mid-sized churches. And if you wanted a round number, let's just say your church has 600 active members. That would be qualified as a small to mid-sized church, in Greg's opinion. And more information is posted at his website, thunderbirdconsulting.org. That's thunderbirdconsulting.org. The name of Greg Moon is very tightly affiliated with Western Seminary. So, Greg, what are your thoughts on Western's resources when it comes to churches that might be looking for a new senior pastor somewhere down the line? Yeah, there's a a couple of things. One in particular, um, there is a ministry at Western that's called the Center for Leadership Development. And the easiest way to describe that is it's a, a library of video courses that you take online. Um, And one in particular course is designed, um, I think there's about 10 sessions of uh, 30 30 minutes or so. uh, And it is designed specifically for churches that are looking to hire a senior pastor. Um, It's an amazing resource. It takes you through step by step by step uh, of how best to do that, how to evaluate what the church should be looking for, how to to evaluate candidates. Um, There's some personality trait information in there. Uh, It's just a really well put together course. And it's a great course for a search committee to go through together. And the place to find that is 
C as in center, L as in leadership, and D as in um, development, western.com. And that should take you to the page, and then you just scroll till you find that particular course. And I'll make sure to post that website address, which is cldwestern.com, as in Center for Leadership Development, cldwestern.com, to find out more about this online course about hiring a senior pastor and what are the best practices. So, Greg, did you have any involvement in the developing of this curriculum? I've had some development, not in that particular course itself. I've been working with the CLD department now for a little more than two years. And I think there's 160 or 170 different courses on there. Um, but that particular one that I talked about um, is just one of those. I've had a little bit of, you know, conversation of what kind of courses we, should we offer and, um, and produce. But that particular course was done before my time. I'm glad it gets your stamp of approval, Greg Moon, with all the decades that you spent in higher education, fundraising, and, well, going all the way back to being a pastor's kid as well. So are there certain common traits that the average church should keep in mind when looking for that senior pastor or that eventual replacement for the current senior pastor? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, and again, that course will take you through a much more detailed, but I, I guess as, as, as I look at successful searches and unsuccessful searches is, um, and we talked a little bit about this earlier when we were talking about strategic planning. I, I ask, as I said before, the question, where do you want to be? And if this is a particular church that we're talking about, where do you want to be as a church in five years? And I get that dead stare silence, then they're not ready to hire somebody because they don't know where they want to go. And if you don't know exactly where you want to be five years from now, how can you hire the right person with the right giftings and skills to get you there? So this particular course talks about that. But I, I would say that that is something that's really, really important moving forward is to know exactly where you want to be as a church in five years because you want to hire someone that's going to be around for those five years. And, you know, I, we've all seen over our years churches that make the wrong hire, and that can be more costly than being patient and waiting. That's for sure, Greg. I think sometimes we might like someone's personality or platform presence or speaking style so much that we overlook other traits that are necessary to be a senior pastor. So are there any yellow flags that we ought to look for and just take pause if a candidate might display them? Well, and again, I don't mean to um, be a broken record, but a lot would depend on where the church currently is and where the church wants to go. And so a church that is, you know, may have a senior pastor and, you know, a, a elder or deacon board of, you know, half a dozen that's smaller and there's not a large staff, then that's a different kind of person than if you have a church, you know, that may have, you know, three or four pastors that all preach over a course of, of a year and you've got a staff of, you know, a dozen or so then 
the person you hire as a senior pastor, his, his leadership skills in terms of supervising and delegating a staff are going to be completely different than a church where it's a single pastor with just a very small staff. So the part that's important is, or part of the one that's important is that the skill set and the giftings match where the church is and wants to be. Does that make sense? It does. So what I love about you, Greg Moon and Thunderbird Consulting is this is not a one size fits all approach. You're looking at individual Christian nonprofits. You're looking at churches that might be small or they might be midsize. And you're not trying to say, this is the ideal model. You must fit this. Instead, you're looking at what they have to work with and trying to make the best choice for every individual outreach. So thank you for sharing your insights on that. And do you have any ideal sizes for a church, or does that vary from community to community or denomination to denomination? Yeah, I think there's so many different sizes and shapes of churches, um, depending on you know where you are. Um, in, in a rural setting, it's going to be so much different than you know, in Portland Metro or Gresham or uh, Vancouver. Um, And I don't know denominationally if it, um, I don't know enough about all the different um, rules and policies of the different denominations to say what they see as ideal sizes. I I think, um, and that this is more personal opinion, I think, than it is um, expertise is, you know, that some of the, the large churches that are, you know, 5,000 plus, um, that they tend to, at times, and again, I'm not saying this is every everyone, but in a church, when you get that large, it's really hard to maintain community and relationships if you're not real intentional about it, where in a smaller church, you know, of 600 or less, it's a little bit easier to, you know, know most of the families and those that are coming to the church. So you have to be real intentional on both ends of how you want to make that work. Um, that's just one example. Greg, you said that you concentrate on helping out small to mid-sized churches. But for the larger ones, like you mentioned, a church of 5,000, finding relationships generally tougher to maintain are there methods, resources, devices, maybe small groups or community groups, things along those lines that can help the communication and relationship factor for the larger churches? Well, I think small groups and community groups are are definitely a part of a larger group or a larger church. Um, and again, you know, I think it really depends and we've said, I've said this, you know, many times is, is there's so many dif- different shapes and sizes of churches that I, I would say that the, the larger churches that are doing intentional work with small groups um, and those kinds of things, community groups uh, are the ones that, that have the best uh, results in maintaining community and relationship. Um, the, the, the smaller, I mean, again, it's, there's so many different shapes and sizes that I've said numerous times, but you've got to find ways to connect people. You've got to find ways to build relationships. And 
how that's done best um, is something for the leadership in the church to to talk about and wrestle with. I mean, and certainly as a part of the the strategic planning work that I do, is that that that's a conversation that'll come up um, as possibly something that's a uh, a threat, if I can use the word threat, to the success of the, the, the that particular church. And if it, it comes up, which in many cases it does, then it's got to be intentional. We need to build our houses on a strong foundation, and that comes from being intentional and having a mindset of strategic planning. And Greg Moon of Thunderbird Consulting has decades of experience. He'd like to share with your Christian nonprofit group and with your small to mid-sized church. And because he's retiring from full-time employment, he's going to do it at a budget that will fit your individual needs. So make sure to check out thunderbirdconsulting.org for all the details. That's thunderbirdconsulting.org. And regarding that class he was talking about at Western Seminary, check out the websites westernseminary.edu and cldwestern.com. Greg Moon, congratulations on your quote-unquote retirement, although you still will continue to be a consultant. So on the way out, is there anyone you want to say hi to or send a shout-out to? Um, not anyone in particular. I, I just uh, appreciate the, the conversation, Mike, and I appreciate you reaching out um, to have this conversation with me. I've always had a great deal of respect for all the different stations that are a part of Salem Communications, I think it is. That would be my shout-out. It's truly our pleasure to serve, Greg. So thank you so much for all that you're doing. And in the midst of all these nonprofits and churches that you're helping out, thoroughly enjoy your entire family and the season of retirement. Go make some memories for yourself as well as those you're helping out, all right? I will. Greg Moon's website is thunderbirdconsulting.org. That's thunderbirdconsulting.org. Thank you so much for listening to Difference Makers. Difference Makers.